This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today I have the second part of our live teaching from Jeff Vanderstelt done here in Los Angeles to a group of churches and disciples about gospel fluency. Uh, How do we speak the truths of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life? And so last episode, we shared the first part, which was about how to point people towards Jesus instead of pointing away from Jesus. And Jeff walked through several very practical examples of that. Uh, And then we just want to bring you this second part, which is also rich and just full of just uh, impactful nuggets and wisdom and insight. And also it just sort of stirs our affections towards Jesus. So we want to bring you uh, the second part of that. Uh, If you missed the first, you should go check it out and then sort of buckle in for this second piece because we know it will not only bless your heart, but we also know it's some of the best equipping around for just speaking the gospel both within the church and outside of the church, which really is the foundational sort of bedrock of doing anything with missional communities, is that we don't just do activity and we don't just do talking, but we actually bring Jesus into the everyday stuff of life with our words and how we listen and how we engage one another. This truly is about the gospel, the gospel that creates and sends us on mission, the gospel of Jesus raising us to new life. And so we hope you will enjoy this second part. Uh, One disclaimer is that this was a live recording and a live venue here in my hometown of Los Angeles. And so we hope that uh, you'll give us a break. There's a few moments in which it might be hard to hear or things like that. But overall, we know that it's pretty excellent and that you'll very much enjoy this live teaching. Uh, With that, please enjoy. Take thoughts captive regularly, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That phrase, taking every thought captive to obey Christ, is another way of saying You take a thought, you put it in a cage, and you walk around it like it was a ferocious lion, and you examine all that it's saying, all that it's doing, all that it is, and you just say, what am I thinking? What am I believing? What is it saying about what I believe about God and what he's done and who I am and what I do? And Paul is saying part of the spiritual battle is asking yourself, am I walking by faith right now in the truth of who God is, what he's done, who I am, and what I do? Because, see, the reality is that what you do, this is what the Bible, what theologians call the imperatives, the commands, the behaviors. What you do reveals what you believe about what God has done, what who he is and what he's done and who you are, which are called the indicatives. In the Bible, that's another way of saying what is always true no matter what you do. Okay? So a little example, if, uh, if one of you tonight leaves here and you go, man, that was, I, I drove so far and that was such a bad teaching and now I'm just discouraged and I got to go get drunk. So I'm going to go get drunk and then I'm going to go I smash my car and then I go punch a guy because I'm mad because Jeff just let me down and he's not a very good savior for me today and which I'm not. So, uh, sorry. Um, 
And, and you, your friend comes to you and you go, man, I really messed up last night. Let me just ask you, should he believe in that moment that you're not holy? If you're a Christian, if you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, if you're covered with the righteousness of Christ, are you holy? You are. Did you live a holy life? No. Does your unholy living discount God's word over your life saying you are his holy child? Do you understand that you all are saints in the room? Do you understand that when you go out and sin, you're still a saint? That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Like, that should sound like foolishness to those who are perishing, right? And those who are being saved, we go, that's the good news of God. That no matter what I do, I'm still that. So take your thoughts captive because some of you are going, man, this was a bad week, and you're beginning to believe God no longer loves me, or I, I failed him too much this time, or I didn't do enough for him. How can he be impressed with me? And one day I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, but I know I haven't done a very good job, so how is he going to say that to me? And you go, it's not because of what I've done. It's because of what Christ has done. God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, if your life is in Christ, because Christ is the well done and good and faithful servant. Not you. Amen? I mean, if you're thinking you're going to measure up to Jesus, good luck. You don't have to. You already have one who did. And so ask yourself, what am I believing? Because our behaviors are always the result of your beliefs. Why would that person go out and live an unholy life? Because they forgot they were holy. They forgot they were holy. If you walk out of here going, man, we are like, I mean, you know, we're holy ones. We're, we're saints. We don't have to wait till we die for someone to venerate us and like call us St. Jeff or, you know, St. Daniel or St. whatever. It's like, no, you're already a saint. If you walk around all day long in L.A. going, we are the saints of God. We are the holy ones of God. We are the priesthood of God. We are the temple of the living spirit. We are dearly loved and accepted. We are, we are righteousness of Christ. If you walked around believing that, how would you live? Like saints, like dearly loved, like righteous people. I mean, you would live out your, what you believe to be true of yourself. And not making this up. Let's be clear. You're not trying to do self-talk. This isn't like positive thinking so that you can become righteous. This is you are righteous in the heavenly realm. Start believing what God says is true of you so you'll live like it here every day. And here's what happens. We've got to start asking ourselves, what am I believing right now? Because the roots of your faith lead to the fruits of your life. What you do reveals what you believe. Okay, let me just show you kind of how this works. This, by the way, came out of a conversation I was having with my wife. And please forgive me that I'm going to take a very short period of time to give you a very long conversation. So wives in the room or women in the room don't think I'm an insensitive guy. I mean, I am at times. But this, this was like a several-hour conversation where I was drawing my, my wife's heart out. And by God's grace, I was a loving husband in this moment. Not always, but I was that time. And, uh, you know, I was just, we were just talking about the fruit of her life. And for her, there was some quite a bit of anxiety and fear going on. And by the way, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So fear itself is not, that's not necessarily wrong. But when your fear is of something else, then you've probably made something else your God. And um, at least temporarily. And so I asked my wife as she was experiencing these fruits, which is what she does. So that's what answering the fourth question, what do I do? I said, what are you believing about? who you are. Ask her, like, when you think through, who am I? How would you answer that question right now in your life? And she said, I'm in control. I remember stopping and saying, sweetheart, do you really believe you're in control? She goes, 
Yeah. I said, so why the anxiety? Why the fear? She said, I'm not in control. Now, we could have just stopped there and realized most of us struggle with feeling like we're supposed to be sovereign. By the way, if you think you're supposed to be control, in control of anything other than you, you already have a wrong view of God in the world. Right? Ultimately, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not others' control. And if you're really honest, you realize, if the longer you live, the realize, you more, more you realize, I'm really not in control of anything except for how I submit to Jesus Christ in what feels like an out-of-control world, right? Because he's in control. All right, so she was experiencing that. And I said, what are you believing about what God has done? And my wife, by the way, is, she is a saint. Um, she's also a very truthful woman. And her confidence in, in, in the scriptures, especially the Psalms, have led her to not be afraid to tell the truth about what she's believing in the moment. And she said, I believe that God has stopped loving me. She said, if I'm really honest, that's what I'm believing. I said, what else? She said, I believe that he abandoned me. So what else have you been believing, sweetheart? She said, I believe that God lost control. Okay, now let's just be honest. Every one of you have thought, I believe that at some point, right? As I'm saying, you're going, some of you were like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> man, that was today. <laughs> That's every day we watch the news. So, And then I said, what do you believe about who God is? She said, I believe, if I'm honest, God is unloving. I believe that God is absent. And she said this, and I was like, wow. She said, I believe God is impotent. Now, by the way, let's just be clear. This is called confession. Too often we think that this is confession. Or, you know, like, man, I was, I lusted. You know, we get together with our guys group, and we have accountability, and it's like, hey, man, how was your week? Man, it was not good, man. I was looking at pornography. I confessed it. No, 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 that's not confession. That's called admission. Confession is when you say, now, why did you do that? What were you believing that led you to go to something like that? Confession is when you, because at the very heart of confession is you confess your faith. That's the very nature of confession. So when I'm confessing my sins, Jesus said the Spirit was given in John 69 to, to convict us of our unbelief in Jesus. That's the very nature of sin is its unbelief. And so what am I doing? I'm confessing the unbelief. I'm confessing the wrong beliefs. I'm confessing the ways that I've thought wrongly about God. The word repentance is metanoia in the Greek, which means to have a change of mind about what God's really like. And so as my wife said these things, she said, but I don't really believe this. And I said, but you have been believing it. And when she said, I don't really believe this, that's because the Holy Spirit was right there, beautiful Holy Spirit, doing the Holy Spirit's job, going, that's not true. That's not what God's like. That's not what God's done. The Spirit has been given to you by God. If you don't have that going on, by the way, then you don't belong to Christ. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. But if you have the Spirit of Christ, when you start to realize, man, I've been believing this, and you have this part of you, you go, but that's not true. That's not what he said about himself. That's not what he's shown about himself. That's not what he's done. These are lies. These are accusations. This is not from God. And the Spirit of God convicts, and the Spirit of God reveals, and the Spirit of God guides, and the Spirit of God teaches you these things. And so, but we need each other. By the way, ever think anybody could grow in a, a language in terms of fluency without talking to anybody else about it? 
See, what I'm doing with my wife is I'm saying, what does the gospel say about who God is and what he's done and who we are? Sweetheart, we got to talk about this. we got to confess it out loud, remind each other of these truths on a regular basis. And, and so she said, I don't really believe this. And I said, well, what do you believe? She said, well, I believe that God is loving. And I said, how do you know? By the way, too often this is what Christians do with each other. This would be with my wife. It would be like, you know, she's worrying. and go, hey, babe, don't worry. Be happy. Right? And we think that's repentance. Stop worrying. Be happy. Or don't lust. Have purity. Or stop being greedy. Start giving. But that's not repentance. That's behavior modification. God, want, God wants heart transformation, not behavior modification. And heart transformation that's based in true, genuine, Holy Spirit-given repentance leads to a change of behavior. It does. But if you don't experience Holy Spirit-given repentance that leads to a change of heart, then you're just being taught how to put on a new behavior over a broken and dirty heart. Instead of going, God, I need you to change me. I need you to open my eyes and reveal to me the truth and change my faith and my understanding of what you're like. And so I didn't just go, you know what, Janie, stop worrying, be happy. And I, you also didn't just don't just go, don't worry, God loves you, though that's true, that's still not sufficient. If all we do is tell people the truth about what God's like, but we never remind them of what he's done, we're fundamentally deists who aren't Christians. Because how do you know God's loving? You don't know apart from his, the revelation of his work in Jesus Christ. That's how you know the love of God. Romans 5.8, this is how we know that God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you give people answers other than Jesus for the truths that they should know about God, you're fundamentally no different than someone who's never met Jesus. It might be true. God is love. But if you don't say, and let me tell you how we know that, 1 John 4, because while we were still sinners, he died for us. 1 John 4 says, how do you know God's love? Because he loved us first. When we weren't even lovable, when we didn't love anybody, why do we love? Because he loved us. John's really clear on this. Paul's really clear on this. So at this point, I said, sweetheart, how do you know that he is loving? And she said, because he died for me. What has he done? He died on the cross for my sins. I said, what else do you know? She said, he is powerful. I said, how do you know that? She said, he rose again on the third day. If there ever was a time it looked like God was out of control, it's when Jesus is in a tomb. I mean, think about it. I mean, that, that's as bad as that gets. And yet it was as good as it gets at the same time because he, what was he doing? Burying our sin, overcoming Satan's sin and death, leaving it in the grave. God was fully in control while Jesus looked like he was completely out of control. That's really good news for you and I when you feel like, man, this world is out of control. And if God wasn't out of control when Jesus is in the tomb, he's not out of control right now. He is in, He is powerful. He is mighty. He is able to defeat the greatest enemy of death, of Satan, of sin for you and me. There is no greater enemy that you'll ever face than those three. And he's overcome them. And then I said, sweetie, what else do you know? She said, he is present. And I said, how do you know that? She said, because this is not supposed to be a dove. It's just the Holy Spirit. She said, because the Holy Spirit is in me. And as she was doing this, what was she doing? She was confessing. The truths of God revealed in Christ Jesus for her. And then I said, so who are you, sweetheart, in light of all this? What do you believe about you in light of what God has done for you? And she said, I am loved. 
In fact, I am the beloved. I said, what else? She said, I am not alone. I said, what else? She said, I am more than a conqueror through him. And I said, sweetie, what are you experiencing now? What kind of fruit are you experiencing in your life? She said, you know what she was experiencing, don't you? You can say it with me. Love, joy, peace, and on and on and on. Paul says the mind set on the spirit. What's the spirit's job? To set our mind on the things of Christ. The mind set on the spirit produces this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And she started to experience God at work in her, freeing her from the fear and anxiety that was capturing her. Now, I can promise you if Janie were here, she would say, this is a daily battle of capturing my thoughts and remembering the truths of Christ for me. And it doesn't end. It's my entire life journey. Because she's being saved. It wasn't like that moment she was saved and we're done. It's a daily journey of faith. This is how we practice bringing the gospel to bear on each other's hearts by paying attention to each other's lives and then speaking the truths of the gospel into our false belief so that they might experience repentance leading to fruit that is of the Spirit. So not only do we know and believe it, we take thoughts captive regularly, but we've got to immerse ourselves in a gospel-saturated community. I, can I just urge you, surround yourself with people who love the gospel. Regularly practice proclaiming it to one another. Expect that it's not a good night of gospel community unless the gospel is actually brought up. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times people have small groups and Bible studies and they never talk about Jesus. And you're like, what are we doing? Every single passage of Scripture was meant to point us to him. Jesus himself said that. But don't become like the Pharisees who diligently searched the Scriptures thinking that by them they would have life, and yet they failed to come to Jesus. Every text is meant to lead you to Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible study and he doesn't come up, you ought to go like, who in the world were we studying? What was this about? Like, you ought to, you ought to have a worship service around Jesus every time Christians are together. And you go, we're going to go out to dinner after this. I don't, do you guys eat late around here? Or did you already eat? Some of you are going to go out to eat afterward. Okay? You should get to that table. When you get to the food, you shouldn't go like, we've got to bless the food. You ought to stop and bless the giver of the food who reminds you of the giver, giving of his son. And that every meal is a reminder that something outside of you is feeding a deep need inside of you, just like Jesus Christ is feeding the deepest hunger of your spiritual life. And every meal ought to be the, a worship service. He's going, oh, praise God, we love you. Jesus, you gave your life for us. This meal reminds us that you are the true bread that came down from heaven to satisfy our hunger. That you're the true wine that was, was poured out so we might be forgiven. And as we eat this food and drink this drink, would you be glorified at this table? Because it's all about you. Every meal is about you. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all the glory of the Lord. Amen? Like you, you ought to like, have that be a normal expectation that you are with people, at least if who press, profess Christ, who are regularly going to magnify and, and rejoice in and, and be satisfied with the grace of Christ Jesus. He should be on the top of your lips all the time, on the top of your mind and the edge of your mouth all the time. I can't wait to talk about Jesus. So you immerse yourself inside that kind of community, and you speak it regularly to one another. Like, ask yourself, when's the last time you spoke the gospel? To yourself. Get up tomorrow morning and go, Man, it's a good day. His mercy is new again this morning. I did not get what I deserved because Jesus went to the cross for me. And he rose again so I wouldn't be alone without the power I need to, this, to live this day. And I look forward to the future because the future is a foretaste 
or look, looking forward to what the future is going to be like because it's going to be so good. By the way, I didn't say this, but I want you to hear this. The beauty of the resurrection is that you and I are the foretaste of the future to the world who desperately longs a better world. That's, that's what you are. You got to walk through your day going, man, I just can't wait to give people a taste of Jesus today. You guys like movies here, right? Okay. How many of you work somehow in the industry? Okay. How many of you work on trailers? What's the trailer supposed to do? It's supposed to make you want to go see the movie because it, it gives you a taste of how great the movie's going to be. Do you know what you and I are? We are a foretaste of the future reality of that world we're all going to live in someday with Jesus. And we're meant to be a trailer to it. So people would go, man, I can't wait to be there. It's going to be amazing. If this is just a taste, what's it going to really be like? The problem with the movie trailer, unfortunately, sometimes it is the best thing about it. But that's not the case with us. We aren't the best. We're just a meek foretaste of a future reality. It's only going to get better. And we got to talk about that. we got to live it. And we've got to speak it to one another regularly. And these are some questions I encourage groups to ask on a regular basis of one another. First of all, what about the gospel are we not aware of? So like if we're going through a situation where we're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, our life doesn't look like a foretaste of the kingdom, then we should stop and ask, what are we not aware of right now? Because if it doesn't seem like the spiritual gifts or the spiritual fruit is being experienced and the kingdom of God is being expressed, then we should ask, is there something we're missing? What about the gospel we're not aware of? But what about the gospel we've forgotten? Maybe, maybe we've just, like my wife, in those moments, she got more caught up with the, the problems of the world and the things that could be done to our kids at school, which are, you know, there's reason to be concerned about that. But it became bigger to her than God. And so she is forgetting about the gospel. Or what about the gospel we're not believing in the moment? Now, every time that we do faith and repentance kind of work, we say, what are you believing and what do you need to repent of your false belief or wrong belief? I'm always listening for what are they ignorant of? Like, what are they just not aware of? Or what are they, what are they forgotten? They've just forgotten these truths. Or what are, what are they not believing? They're living in unbelief. And then lastly, how does the gospel speak uniquely to this situation that we're facing in front of us? Because the gospel has something to say to everything, every situation, every problem. By the way, can I offer this to you? If you want to grow in gospel fluency, you've got to learn how to be a really good listener. The greatest way to learn a language is to open your ears. Listen. Now, hopefully tonight you've been listening to me, but I hope you're listening to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit's speaking to you. Some of you zoned out on me, which was fine because the Holy Spirit brought you somewhere. And you were like, oh. And you and the Spirit were having a great little conversation. And you got to pay attention to that. Because in these moments, he's speaking to you and he wants to do something in your life. And I've found that one of the greatest gifts God gave you was his presence, but we are so not present with God. I mean, how many times you read the Bible and you weren't present with God, you were just reading it, studying it, mining it for new information. And God all along is going, hey, I'm here. I just want you to enjoy me. Be present with me. Enjoy my presence. I love what Moses says to God when God says, just go get into the promised land. I'm not going with you. What does Moses say? If you don't go, we're not going. Because what else is going to distinguish us from the rest of the people on the earth but your presence? And then God says, I will go with you. And I love that because what Moses is saying is the promised land is nothing without the promiser. If he isn't there, it isn't good. Heaven is nothing without God. Like when people are like, man, I don't 
my neighbor across the street all the time would tell me, I'm going to hell, I know it. And I'm like, well, you don't really like being with God anyway, so you wouldn't like heaven. And I was, we, were, we spoke really honestly. She's like, I don't like God, and I don't want to be around God. I'm like, well, then you would hate heaven. Hell will be much better for you because he won't be there. And I said that really directly, and I, that grapes my heart like crazy. But her and I had that kind of frank conversation because we knew each other for many years, and I was just like, I wasn't playing around anymore with her, right? Because she was very direct with me. So I met sure directness with love, but truth. And um, I say that because I want to ask you, what are you so excited about about the future? You, is it because you get to go be with God or because you think heaven was the goal? Because the goal isn't heaven. The goal is him. You get him. You get to be present with him. And all my staff, we take one uh, day a quarter for a full day of solitude because I know if they don't learn how to regularly be quiet and silent before God so they can learn how to be present with him, they, all their quiet times become a to-do list of spiritual activity. They just spend time with God saying, tell me what to do. They read their Bible for next steps and practical application, and they never just enjoy him. And so I tell them, please make the goal of your day of solitude not a to-do list. Just make it a be with God list. Just be with him. And here's what I found. When I learned to be present with God, really present with God, I can be present with people. Now, when's the last time you really listened to somebody? Francis Schaeffer said, if I have, two hour, I have an hour with a person, I'm going to spend 55 minutes asking good questions. So in the last five minutes, I might have some kind of an idea of some good news that I can share with them. So if you're going to grow in community and gospel fluency, listen to people. Listen for their longings, because their longings are revealing to you what they actually want and how Jesus can meet those needs is what the Spirit will tell you. Listen for their disappointments, because that's how they've been living their life, looking for something else that can't satisfy in all the wrong places instead of looking to Jesus who ultimately satisfies. Listen for their pains because those are the cries for healing that Jesus' wounds can bring healing to. Listen for the ways in which they have failed that they're embarrassed by and which you can give good news to that he's forgiven them. Listen. You know what? L.A. needs you not to talk probably very much. They probably need you to listen a lot right now. And I would bet you one of the greatest gifts you can give to this city is closing your mouth and opening your ears, and then just opening your mouth to ask good questions long enough that you actually know what the longings of the heart are, what the disappointments of their life are, or the wounds of their past are, and what the ways in which they failed are, so that you actually have a sense of what good news might sound like to them. Because if it doesn't sound like good news to them, you didn't preach the gospel. You just preach facts about the gospel. But Jesus wants you to preach it in such a way that they actually want it to be true. Amen? All right. Well, I'm going to take some time just to interact around questions. We have a few minutes. How do you be in his presence? So the way that I'm learning how to be in his presence is by being able to say, be still and know that God says, I am God, not me. So we, we actually have, we've taught our staff how to sometimes do some physical activity. First of all, wake yourself up because we spend a whole day in solitude. So it's like, get awake. <laughs> Might be jogging or something because you're, we are an embodied people, and we don't often pay attention to our bodies, and our bodies are telling us something. Uh, sometimes our bodies are really, really tired because you are carrying way more on yourself than you are ever meant to be. And so when you try to spend a whole day of solitude, sometimes you'll just spend half the day sleeping because you're too tired. And you've got to pay attention to that because God's going to wake up. I'm telling you something about your life. You're running in a way that's killing you, and I want that. So you get your body doing something so you can start to pay attention to your body because God meant for us to experience him in a bodily way, not just in a disembodied way. That's Gnosticism. 
Gnosticism is you meet with God in a disembodied way. Christianity is you're an embodied person with a spirit that you meet with him in inside of a body. So pay attention to that. So get the body moving, wake that up a bit. Um, and then what, what I encourage people to do is ask the spirit to, to just speak to you. And sometimes when you might start with a psalm or, you know, another passage of scripture, speak to me through this passage and, and read it as a prayer versus just as a, a study, like interact around it. Search me and know me, oh God. God, you know me. You know everything about me. I want you to search me and know me. Be pre- I want to be present with you as you're present with me. And so turning psalms into prayers can be one of the ways we learn how to begin to really understand and engage his presence. Uh, but then, then to just be quiet and listen. And I encourage people to pay attention to what the Spirit's saying to you. And I'm convinced the Spirit speaks to you in ways that you usually have learned how to take in the world. Right? So for me, I'm a person, I, I, I'm a man of words. You found that out. You've been listening to me for the last hour and 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Like, so God gives me very clear intuition and ideas and thoughts that come from all like the left field type of things. Like, where'd that come from? That's how he does it for me. My wife gets visions because uh, she's very visual. She's an artist. I know of other people who, who when they say, I want to be present with God and listen, he, he says, go for a walk. And then they start walking. As they walk, it's like they become alive to creation and things around them. And God speaks to them. And the scriptures say the trees are crying out. The mountains are shouting. Like, so you pay attention to creation and let God speak to you through that. So you have to kind of pay attention to how you take in the world because God wants you to engage with him in the way that he designed you. So I almost have to teach people how to be familiar with how they perceive the world because God designed them that way. And that's how he wants them to understand. He, you know, Paul says in Romans 1, it's through his creation that we understand the invisible nature of what God's really like. So you want to pay attention to how you engage in the created realm around you. Um, some of you write, so you need a journal and then pay attention and ask God to speak to you while you're journaling. Um, so I teach, try to teach there's lots of ways you can interact with God, but you've got to make the space to be silent and still before him long enough to have everything else shut off, right? So they don't use their phones, no technology for the day. Like we're so used to letting everything else shout at us that we don't know how to shut it off. And then one of the guys who taught us about this, he's on our staff. He said, you're going to have thoughts coming through your mind. And he said, let them be like a leaf floating on the river and just watch them go by and then go back to being quiet before God. And if another thought comes, watch it go by. It's okay to pay attention to it because God might be saying something to you about that. You know, you're worried about many things, Jeff. Whenever I'm with God, he usually shows me areas where I've been deeply hurt by people, but I never grieved those losses. I never mourned. And they start to come up, and I find myself remembering hurts and pains. It's like, he's going, I want to heal you, Jeff. Let me take you there. So we go there and experience some grief and some mourning over pain, and I invite him to heal my heart. So my wife always says, I'm learning to turn my thoughts into prayers because my thoughts are probably something from God trying to get my attention about what he wants me to talk to him about because he's actively involved in all that. So that's the thing I want you to realize is that he's present right now in your thought life. And um, so, so I don't, I don't know how to, I mean, we, we teach kind of a process of once you've done that for a while, then look back and begin to say, God, show me all that you've been doing in my life. And then presently, what do you want to say about the present in my life? And how do you want me to walk with you afresh in the newness of tomorrow and the next few days? And so we usually do a look back, look now, look forward kind of process with God and invite him to speak into all of that. 
I like to use, I'm kind of OCD. I use five colored pens when I do my time with the Lord. My black pen is kind of my journal pen where I write down what I'm learning. My red pen is my, I think God said this to me just now, pen. So I write it in red ink, kind of like Jesus, you know, the red letters in the Bible. And I, if, it, if it's a big thing, like, hey, Jeff, move to another city and plant a church out of a broken church, that doesn't just get talked about with Jeff and God. That goes in front of lots of people. Uh, so the bigger the, the thing that I think he's saying, the more people that need to be involved in that process of praying and bringing that to submit to God. So that's red. Blue is what I think God told me to do. So I, I write that in blue with a little checkbox. Green is the prayer request that I'm bringing before God on a regular basis. And I usually ask the Spirit to tell me what to pray for because I believe he knows what I'm supposed to pray for. And then purple is how he answers those prayers. And then my day of solitude, I look back through my whole journal and go, what has he been saying? What has he been doing? What has he been asking me to do? Where have I not been walking in belief? God, why did I not obey you in that? Oh, yeah, I'm kind of afraid to do that. That's bringing up some wounds. We need to talk about that, don't we? Yeah, you do. And that's how my day with God works, is that he does talk to me. Uh, if you don't believe that, then you're going to have a lonely walk. And, I mean, you are meant to have a, a personal relationship with a living God through the Spirit of God engaging with you in a way that makes sense to you. So, But you got to cultivate it. So I don't know if that helps a little bit, but there's a lot there that I said. And we're all different, right? You know, the psalmist says, uh, God, I, I, I want you to quiet me like a weaned child. Uh, will you quiet my soul? And I think sometimes we just need to say, God, teach me how to be a, a little child again. Teach me how to just rest in you. And I think most people, if they've never done solitude, it'll take them doing it quite a bit before they get it becomes familiar. And if you don't know how to walk with the Spirit and listen to God on a daily basis, it's likely because you're not making the space for Him to speak to you when you make those times of solitude available. So you got that doesn't happen just by running through life. It happens by slowing down and being with Him, being still, inviting Him to speak. And He will. Sometimes He won't say anything like he did with the prophet. Like all the storms and all the winds, and all of a sudden there's this silence. And God spoke in the silence. Sometimes it's a silence that he wants to speak to you, and he wants to say, I just want to be with you. By the way, don't always expect something to be said. Sometimes God's just going, I just want you to learn how to be okay with, with nothing but me. Not even a message, not even a word, not even a command, just me. And you just go, yes. And just cultivate that. Oh. If you don't know how to do this, by the way, Practicing the Presence by Brother Lawrence and uh, is a really good book to look at, something that might help you with that. Yeah, someone, there was another hand. Yes. She was asking, how do you talk to someone and really spend time listening? For me, like, don't take what I did with my wife as the example of me talking to someone and listening. I'm talking about, like, just in general, everyday life. You know, are we present with people? Are we, and you know the difference, right, when someone's really with you? Versus their mind is somewhere else. So being present, like, you know, really present, really listening. Yeah, eye contact. And, and by the way, I've learned that the best way to be present with somebody else is to be present with God while you're with someone else. Like, oh, God, help me to listen. Help me to love. Give me the ears to hear what their heart's saying. I don't want to just hear their words, but their longings, their disappointments, their pains, their failures. Lord, let me, let me listen like you did to the woman at the well. And so it's that kind of presence. And then the question is, it's not just around those four things. I'm listening for those four things. But, like, if I were to go hang out with you later on tonight, I'd go, hey, man, like, are you from L.A.? 
know, which is probably most of you, uh, moved here. You know, a lot of you moved here. Some of you are from here, and a lot moved here. Well, but what brought you here? A uh, job. I, I talked to someone earlier tonight, and uh, I'm teaching. Um, I'm tr- like transcribing music or rearranging music for schools, and and you know, and if we would have had a lot more time, I, I would have said, "So where are you from?" I think he's from the Midwest. I think I heard that. So, like, what was it like growing up in the Midwest? And then I'm going to ask, you know, tell me about your family and your your mom and your brothers and your dad and and what are your great what are your favorite memories back home and what do you miss about home? And I'm just going to ask questions. And pretty soon, and if and if you really care about someone and ask questions, people will talk and talk and talk and talk, because everybody loves themselves. I mean. They might not always like themselves, but they're still a part of them that wants to actually like themselves. Or they want you to like them, right? Here, just like where I'm at, people are wondering what you think of them. And all of a sudden, when you take notice and care, it says a lot. And so then you start listening. If you listen long enough, you ask enough good questions, pretty soon you're going to have a good idea of how Jesus might sound good to their life. You know, And that's, that's what I do, you know, because I want them to meet Jesus. But they meet Jesus first by a listening person who cares. Yeah. And I, I say all that because you won't grow in gospel fluency if you don't listen. Because too many of us are already starting a conversation going, I know what they need, and I'm going to tell them. That's not what I'm talking about. Please don't hear that. It's not you trying to get your opportunity to speak to somebody. It's you loving someone enough that you actually let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then he'll open up those doors to love them well with the truth of the gospel. But most of us need to listen a lot more. Have you ever been in a conversation and you're already thinking about what you want to say while they're talking? That you're not present with them. You're present with you. Have you ever, are you, some of you are going to have a, a meeting with someone this weekend. It might be a hard one you're anticipating. You're already, has, if they say this, I'll say this. And if they ask this, I'm going to tell them that. And it's like you're not present with them because you're already determined ahead of time that you assume what they're going to say and what they're going to believe and what they're going to experience. And I'm telling you, you're better off praying for those meetings than you are trying to plan what you're going to say. Just pray, Lord, help me to love them well. Help me to be present with them. Give them a sense of your presence. Tell them how much you love them. Prepare their heart for our meeting. So when we get together, it, you will show up in our hearts and minds. And you will do a miraculous work between us. Like you pray for the situation more than you try to figure out what you're going to say. Uh, one older wise man said to me once, Jeff, you got to learn how to be way more curious. You assume way too much. You think you know what you're talking about. That's arrogance. Be humble. Be curious. Be present with somebody enough to admit you probably don't know the answer all the time. And that kind of gospel humility is a spirit-led life. It says, you know. You'll tell me. I don't have to be nervous. I had this counseling appointment with a couple that the worst marriage situation I've ever been in in my entire life. I before the meeting, I thought, God, this is hopeless. This, there's no way you, this can work. And I, was, I started doing like, well, what am I going to say? And, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, um, why don't you just ask me to do something instead of you? And so I started doing what I'm telling you. I started praying. And I sat in that meeting with this couple who is as far away from any hope that I've ever seen. And I, it's like God just started floating words above their heads. I mean, not literally, but I could just see them, you know, my mental abilities. Like I was like, oh, 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 wow. I didn't see that. Would have never thought that. You know, by the end, I'm like, 
So what about this? Has this ever occurred to you? Oh my goodness, are you kidding? Have you been reading my mail? How did you know that? I'm like, well, I've just been listening. And it's amazing how the Spirit of God will give you wisdom if you ask for it in words that you could have never come up with. And he wants you to be that kind of a remarkable people in this world. Like he wants the people in LA to go, who are you? How do you know so much? Why are you so wise? And you'll go, it's because of the Holy Spirit of God. Because God is here and God knows you. And God knows what you need. I don't. But he cares for you enough to talk to me about you and to put you with me so we together can see what God wants to say to your life. And that's what he wants to do. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't that good news for L.A.? You don't have to be the savior of L.A. Because you're hopeless if that's the case. I mean, I've only been with you for a little bit, but I would not put the weight of the salvation of L.A. on you, just so it's clear. You seem like a really great people, but I wouldn't put it on me either. I wouldn't put it on any human. I wouldn't put it on your church. I wouldn't put it on your pastor. I wouldn't put it on your worship services. I wouldn't put it on your preaching and how great your music is. None of that's going to save because we don't save people he does. Amen? Yeah. I wish I could spend a lot more time with you, but I hope tonight was a little bit of a blessing. Thanks so much. Can I pray for you? Father, we want to give people good news, but first of all, we pray you would help us never to stop acknowledging how desperately needy we are of it. We want to be a people who wake up every day and go, okay, Holy Spirit, don't let me forget. Don't let me forget Jesus. Don't let me forget how sufficient his life is, how, how much his death paid for all my sin. It's good. It's perfect. It's complete. It's finished, he said. Don't ever let me forget that he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, that's me. Half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. Don't let, let me forget today that you rose again, that you're with me, that you're alive, that your spirit is present. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Power me. Guide me, lead me, teach me, witness to me. Tell me about Jesus all day. I'm going to forget. Tell me again, over and over again. Tell me about Jesus. Yeah, say it again. I need that Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you. We pray that you would show us daily Jesus, that you would sufficiently remind us of his beautiful and all-sustaining power incredible grace, loving forgiveness, complete and absolute work that glorified you in every possible way so we can rest. Help us to rest in that. I pray for these men and women, Lord, that they would not put their confidence in themselves, but in the sufficiency of Jesus. We pray your spirit would blow afresh in their lives across this city, across Chico, across Indiana, to the ends of the earth that you would remind your people that the good news is good news, that the world actually needs it and wants it. Lord, you're at work around all of us preparing hearts for salvation. Would you help us to believe that enough to not shrink back? Show us how to love. Show us how to listen. And then, Lord, give us the words. Give us a rest in that, that we don't have to figure it out. Just tell us what to do. You're our king. We want you to be glorified. So, Lord, I pray that you would Loose the tongues of your people again to speak the mighty deeds of God in ways people can understand, like you did at Pentecost. Here you have this. It's the same spirit. We know that. We believe that. You're just as capable as you were back then. We pray that you would do that over your church right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That concludes 
this episode of the Saturate podcast. I want to point you just to one resource that we've found and we've created to be very helpful for people wanting to grow in this practice that that not only would you be able to hear this thing and hear this teaching, but you'd actually begin to practice and put it into your own life. Uh, The resource we created is called the Gospel Fluency Handbook. It's written by Jeff and Ben Connolly. You can find that at the Saturate website under our store. You can also find it on Amazon. Again, that's the Gospel Fluency Handbook. It's an eight-week intensive interactive process that you could walk through with any of your friends, with your own missional community, with your own accountability group. You could even do it in Bible study or Sunday school class. However it is that you engage that sort of curriculum, you could do it in that environment. And it really is wonderful. It it builds off the content, but it's not just head knowledge. Each week, there's practical things for you to do with others. There's also a video series that combines to help you engage it even better. So it's a, it's a very powerful resource. We hope you check out the Gospel Fluency Handbook, and we'll see you again sometime in the future. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.